I like swimming here in our pond. We're safe in the stream. The ocean is so beautiful. From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening to Terra Informa. Today, we're diving into the wet and wild world of salmon. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was created on the unceded traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples and the territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, or so-called Vancouver. Pacific salmon play key roles in Indigenous cultural, political, and social processes and traditions. There are amazing stories of successful Indigenous management of salmon. For example, during a salmon run in 1943, a group of Inklakupma men of the Fraser Canyon built a channel around a massive landslide that blocked the water passage a group of salmon traveled to get to their spawning grounds. These men then physically transported salmon that were trying to make their way upriver around the landslide. As a direct result of the actions of these Inklakutma men, the salmon in the stock or group were able to make it to their spawning grounds. Not confined to history, land and resource management and stewardship is still conducted by First Nations, including through Indigenous guardianship programs across so-called Canada. The fishing industry has changed a lot since technology has improved. As fisheries have become industrialized, we have been able to fish way more salmon than is sustainable under colonial fisheries management systems. As we move toward more sustainable fisheries management, it is important to pay attention to Indigenous guardian programs and traditional fisheries management methods. And when thinking about the decline of salmon stocks, it's important to pay attention to the ways that Indigenous people's cultural and traditional practices are impacted by the over-harvesting of ocean resources through non-Indigenous systems. Today, we're dipping our toes into the lives of Pacific salmon, beginning with... Storytime with Terra Informa. Come, gather round, it is time to begin, as I tell you the story of two brave salmon. Francis and Finley were the very best of friends, started as eggs together where the river bends. The two hatched together, there was no going back, but luckily, as young Alvin, they had a good snack, a delicious meal from their yummy yolk sack. Francis was brave, but Finley was shy. They both absorbed their yolk sack and became fish fry. To stay away from predators, fish and birds that saw red, Francis and Finley learned to hide in the gravel of the riverbed. As little fish, they survived by staying in the dark, for even small fish seemed as scary as a shark. There, in the spawning grounds of the Adams River, Francis and Finley each became a very good swimmer. But one day, Finley felt his scales take on a silvery coating. He exclaimed, What's happening to me? I think I'm smolting! Frances soon followed, her scales taking on a silvery sheen. For predators, the two friends could now hardly be seen. 
But as they got older, as their bodies changed and they grew, the two of them both felt a pull in their hearts. They knew it was time to make a journey and head for the deep blue. They traveled for many a mile, sharing many a laugh and many a smile. They traveled fast with nary a halt until the water around them tasted of salt. This new home was big, over 150 square kilometers to be specific. For Francis and Finley, they had found the Ocean Pacific. The two friends lived many years in the big blue sea, swimming the swims and seeing the seas. Before long, deep down, they felt a feeling innate for as mature salmon, they could now procreate. Francis and Finley were joined by many salmon kin as they headed up the Adams River, a very tough swim. Going against the stream wasn't much fun, but that's the challenge of the salmon run. Francis and Finley fought hard and took a few bumps. To get over waterfalls and dams, they even took a few jumps. But tragedy struck when the friends were divided, when Francis's path was blocked where the land had landslided. Go on without me, yelled Francis. I'll find my way. Finley was heartbroken as he swam away. Another night's hard swim, but as the sun was dawning, Finley found his way to the grounds their families had used for spawning. He found his way back to his pond needle, the underwater home that was his very own cradle. But without Francis, it wasn't so great. For what's a home without his best mate? But Francis never gave up. She fought without stop until she finally jumped over her rocky roadblock. When Finley heard her voice, he was delighted. They both swam in joy when they were reunited. Francis laid her own eggs and Finley made them fertile and so begins another turn of the salmon life circle. As for Francis and Finley, their journey was done. They laid to rest together once more, right where their friendship begun. Thank you for joining us in listening to the story of Francis and Finley, the salmon who were the very best of friends. Unfortunately, many salmon are not as lucky as Francis and Finley. Many salmon eggs don't survive as they are really sensitive to a number of factors from warming water temperatures to predators. And many mature salmon are not able to make it back to their natal spawning grounds as their journeys upriver are extremely difficult and long for their bodies to take. Over time, we've seen major declines in the abundance of Pacific salmon, and this is largely attributable to humans' actions. Next up, we hear from Emmy Page, the marine campaigner for Pacific Wild, which is an organization that supports environmental conservation in the Great Bear Rainforest and the Pacific Northwest. And we'll learn more about salmon, the threats they're facing, and what's being done about it. My name is Emmy Page and I am the marine campaigner for the organization Pacific Wild. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Pacific salmon and why they're important? So Pacific salmon are widely looked at as kind of the stone of our ecosystem health in BC. And for, for many reasons, not only are they providing key food sources for not only humans, but bears, wolves, southern resident killer whales, a host of different 
um, animals, but they're also very key for the environment that we have, that we know and love, like our beautiful big rainforest and all the organisms that are associated with that. Um, when salmon go up to spawn into their, their spawning streams, the die-off that happens directly goes back into the earth to fertilize our, our forests and our rainforest. So not only are they key for our ocean ecosystems, but they're also very key for our terrestrial ecosystems. They are one of the species that we look at in the science world to determine the health of the rest of the ecosystem. So if our salmon aren't faring super well, we can expect that the rest of the food chain and the ecosystem probably are going to see some of the effects of that as well. Mm-hmm. So we know that salmon have been in decline for mm-hmm. quite a few years now. Yeah. What are some of the main threats that salmon face and, and what's kind of contributing to that decline? Other than seaborne diseases, parasites that salmon face, uh, the, that's one of the threats. Almost all of the other threats that salmon face are going to be anthropogenic or human, human-based threats. Um, other than natural predation, of course. I would say it, it began with development infrastructure along shorelines and streams that salmon rely on to spawn, where they live, where they eat, everything. And seabeds and coastal ecosystems are super sensitive to development. They don't regenerate as fast as other ecosystems may if they are susceptible to human development. So that's been a huge issue. And then, of course, with that, there's runoff. So if we're farming or if we're doing any sort of agriculture or landscaping on those shorelines, we're going to have some runoff of chemicals into the water that salmon also um, will suffer from. As climate change continues to to increase, exacerbate over time, we're seeing the increase of obviously the heat wave this summer was a huge issue. And we saw earlier snow melts from glacial areas, which caused then a huge influx of, of water into our spawning streams and rivers. So there's a huge difference in water level <laughs> compared to previous seasons. And now all of a sudden, later on in the season, so when the snow melt's expected to happen later on, salmon can't make their way or migrate back up to their spawning streams because of that, that drought we had. So that has disrupted the whole time cycle. It was expected that spawning was going to happen a lot later this year, and that is in fact what we saw um, due to the summer drought. Salmon needed enough time um, to be able to have water in their streams to navigate back up. Uh, and then, of course, that was all disrupted due to the flooding, the atmospheric river we had in D.C was very harmful. And of course, the lower Fraser and lower mainland region where we saw the majority of the flooding is a huge zone for multiple different conservation units of salmon, huge populations here. So yeah, there's been a host of different impacts, not to mention aquaculture obviously has its own impacts on wild salmon populations, obviously indirectly, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> They're facing quite a few challenges and they just seem to keep increasing year after year. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM. And today, we're awash with stories and information about Pacific salmon, like us. That was our favorite fishy friends, Francis and Finley. You listened to their life cycle earlier on in Storytime. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Emmy Page to learn more about salmon management and conservation. So salmon are managed by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, which is a federal 
body. Is that correct? Can you tell me a bit about what the management of salmon as a resource looks like? Mm-hmm. So salmon, you're, you're right to say that salmon are, ma- are managed under the federal agency, Fishing and Oceans Canada. However, because they are anadromous, which means they are living in both freshwater and saltwater ocean at different times of the year, it makes managing them very tricky because when it comes to freshwater systems, that's where your provincial government steps in and our river rays and streams are managed provincially. Only recently have both the federal and provincial government started to cooperate on how we can manage them across stream to ocean intersections. When it comes to management of stocks, it's difficult for any species of fish because you have to do sampling and surveying. You have to know the the number of biomass, like the biomass that is available for harvesting. You have to know the threats they face, the number of adults that are available to find. You have to know so many different biological parameters. And typically when you're looking at a single species because they function as a single unit, as a single species, and you can, they're not usually bound by any barriers. If it's in the ocean, all the herring stocks we have are gonna mingle together and that's the stock of herring that we have as a, a country. But when it comes to salmon, they're so genetically distinct. We have the five species, but then amongst those five species of salmon, we see there are hundreds of different conservation units of salmon. So what that means is those salmon are almost genetically distinct, but they're going to different spawning streams and don't interbreed with each other. And if anything were to happen that further separates those species, they're never going to, they're, they're gonna eventually diverge into two different species. It's kind of what, what a conservation unit means. So when we're managing salmon, you have to look down even further to not only species level, obviously, but then conservation unit and what spawning stream they're going to and how many individuals do we have in that individual spawning stream and is that conservation unit of salmon doing well? And then we then take a look back at like the bigger picture of what that species looks like. The salmon are so difficult to manage. Spawning streams are so remote. <laughs> we have so, so such remote regions in DC that it becomes so difficult to enumerate salmon, count them. And that's where we see GFO lacking a little bit. They're using predictive models based on previous years. They're, they're only observing the streams that have the larger population of salmon returning more frequently. We have some spawning streams that haven't had any monitoring or any publicly available data in at least four years. Some streams will go decades between monitoring. And I can't give you a full picture <laughs> of what our, our salmon health actually looks like. It, 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 just, it just can't. So it is very difficult. Not to discount any of the hard work that our federal and provincial governments do into managing it is very difficult. There just are still steps to, to be made. And there are new funds put in place. Um, the BC Salmon Restoration Fund is a relatively new one that is putting millions and millions of dollars into salmon research. Our Indigenous Guardians programs are getting more federal funding. And they're actually the ones who do a lot of the more remote salmon stream counting. So hopefully DFO will actually start to incorporate some of their collected data into their salmon monitoring and management schemes. So there are improvements being made. Hopefully that helps. <laughs> Definitely. I know I've heard of um, Indigenous Guardian programs and um, yeah, yeah, they seem like such a good on the ground grassroots and um, mm. 
like holistic well, approaches. Yeah, you're, exactly. And and of course, a lot of these nations are doing these, are implementing these programs and doing this research for their own benefit, as they should be, so that they can know what's going on within their own territory. But then I think federally funding it is a great way for them to actually get the funding they need to do that, but then also so that the federal management can benefit from those numbers as well. They're not often integrated into federal management plans. And that's why I said, I hope that they can have more of a streamlined process to be able to do that. Because often we see tons of data from indigenous guardians that isn't actively used, um, which is unfortunate. There are a lot of great initiatives put forward by both federal and provincial governments. There is a lot of funding going into projects, especially with a species salmon restoration fund. A lot of projects that are being funding are really, really cool genomic and lab-based kind of biological projects that look at at, at salmon biology and genetics, which is very cool and very important because, like I said, there's so many different conservation units of salmon. I think it's good to understand how all the different populations interact with one another and um, if they even can interact with each other. But at the same time, we don't have a full picture of how many salmon we even have. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty important, I think. And with some of the funds that have been put forward by DFO, they're not actively funding projects that they deem important. They're looking for people to apply to their fund. So there needs to be a project already in place that has people working on, on project management that apply for these funds and these grants. And as we did a, a huge tally of, of the projects that have already been funded under this, this fund, and only 2% of the funding was for Central Coast, which is a huge chunk, like almost a third of the entire province, and a huge portion of where the salmon population spawn. Only 2% of the funds were going to projects in that area because there is such a difference in population size and infrastructure between the Central Coast and the Lower Mainland. There's not as many people there or there's no labs there to do projects and no one there is applying for these funds, but that's a huge void and where we need to have people on the ground and have money going to, to be able to do this project. What are some specific conservation actions or solutions that are being worked on at this time? Yeah, so as I mentioned, the Indigenous Guardians are a huge component of salmon conservation in general in BC. So being on the ground, counting salmon, making sure we have accurate data on a yearly basis, which is very important to see how our salmon populations are faring and how they, how many are returning, how many new smolt units, or how many new juveniles we may have in following years, um, so that has been very key. We're also seeing a lot of stream rehabilitation projects, especially in the lower mainland where there's a little bit more development going on alongside spawning streams. So smaller conservation organizations just doing stream upkeep, which has been awesome. And then a lot of conservation uh, organizations now, including us, are actively communicating with the federal government to try and push them to fund specific projects that focus on researching the impacts of of climate change and human impact on salmon and pushing for what the Indigenous Guardians do, pushing for more funding for that so that they can 
actively count and we can have this data so that we can do more with our management because there's still so many unknowns and the examiner are obviously not doing well and we're just operating like everything's kind of fine and it's going to work itself out and we, we kind of have to fill in those gaps before we can make any solid decisions. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit more about the work that Pacific Wild does for salmon? Yeah. So we launched a salmon count campaign actually last fall. So it's a relatively new campaign. And the purpose of this campaign is to support creek walkers and indigenous guardian watchmen and encourage CFO and provincial governments to allocate funding to those programs so that all salmon streams are enumerated. We see huge gaps. And like I said earlier, how many salmon streams are counted on a yearly basis? We did an audit this year of publicly available data. And again, this is only data that's publicly available to us. So there could be stuff going on, but we believe that everything should be publicly transparent when it comes to our fisheries. But yes, yeah, so this audit was done of all salmon spawning streams that are known across the entire province. 80% on average have not had any enumeration or publicly available data since before 2018. Wow. And like I said before, there are some streams that have decades long gaps between their data collection. Salmon spawning doesn't happen on decade long intervals. <laughs> we definitely see it happen on a yearly basis. So we need people, need people out there counting every single year and the data needs to be incorporated in, in management schemes. There are also 29 maybe 30 conservation units. So like I said, those those distinct populations and species, 29 of those conservation units have never had any data recorded or collected um, on a time series. So there are just huge, huge gaps that need to be addressed in our understandings of Pacific salmon. And that's what we do. We're trying to encourage, we actively push DFO. We call, we, have conversations with them about how we reallocate funding to to wild salmon population projects. Are there any actions that listeners can take to support Pacific salmon? Absolutely. So Pacific Wild doesn't do a lot of volunteer-based things, but there are plenty of organizations, um, whether it's helping out with your local freshwater conservation society. If you're on a coast, there's other stream organizations, stream keeper organizations that often welcome volunteers. And even if you're a more inland Canadian and you're not living on a coast, the actions of people surrounding freshwater systems directly affect coastal systems as well. All of our watersheds connect and they all flow out to the ocean in some shape or form. So it's all connected and it all makes a difference. So that's super important for, for people who are more inland to not feel like they can't make a difference in, in coastal ecosystems because they absolutely can. When it comes to consuming salmon, salmon is not a write-off. Like you can still consume salmon. The best bet would be to avoid farm salmon at all costs. As best as you can, obviously there are situations maybe, maybe you can avoid it, but typically places should be able to tell you if it's farmed salmon or not. There are a lot of great companies that are popping up now that offer sustainable seafood. Organic Ocean out of Vancouver is one of them, and they do ship across the country. They source sustainably, and they have very good traceability of their products, um, and they're all wild 
salmon populations. Purchasing wild and sustainable seafood is more expensive for sure, but if we're having a wild salmon population decline and struggle, it's also an opportunity for us to cut down on how much seafood we're eating. It's not a goodbye forever. It's not saying you can never eat it, but maybe have it once a week instead of four times a week. There's tons of different ways people can make a difference. I think being educated and consuming content in a conservation space is, is an excellent way to do it, whether it's like social media or signing up for a newsletter. There are a lot of like CPOD is a great organization that does um, a pretty frequent newsletter that's delivered directly to, to email. And it's, there's just plenty of great ways to, to get involved. And it's nothing to be stressed about. Like I know among millennials and, and, and Gen Zs, like it's a huge, bur- it feels like a burden sometimes to be faced with all these conservation problems because it, and it is, it is, it's a huge issue that we're going to be facing and it's tough to think about all the time, but it's not something that's completely unmanageable and every little day. Um, daily action can make a huge difference, I think, and nothing to get too bogged down about. I have one more question, and that is, yeah. what is your favorite thing about salmon? Oh man, I think it's just absolutely amazing how far they can travel. They travel thousands of kilometers just to get from their feeding grounds to the spawn in their stream. And how do they know where they're going? They're in vast oceans, and then somehow they get to the same little spawning stream that they were born in after being away for a couple of years. I just, that blows my mind. Their homing systems are so incredibly cool. And that's something that modern science doesn't even, I don't, doesn't even have an understanding of which is cool. We don't have many of those things anymore that we just fully don't understand. And that's one of those things that's still a huge mystery. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. It's pretty cool. That was Emmy Page talking about Pacific salmon and why we need to pay attention to them. That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Sarah Chitsas. Thanks for listening as we took our first dip into the topic of Pacific salmon. Join us next week as we wade deeper into the world of salmon and learn more about aquaculture on the coast of BC. Karen Forma is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah Chitsas. Special thanks to Emmy Page for her interview, Sonic Patel for the delightful story of Francis and Finley, Elizabeth Dowdell and Lizzie Barron for their lovely voices, and to Hannah Cunningham for producing. You can reach us for comments or questions via email at tara at cjsr.com or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tara Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa.
funny. Oh no, you friend. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. Yes, best fishy friend. Best fish forever. Yes. That's us. Finley, do you remember being out in the deep, dark weirdness of the Pacific Ocean? Remember when we just swam all day, every day? Constantly swimming. I got my steps in every day. My well, fins were flapping. My scales were rough for days. But you know, it's gonna be okay because we made it home. We made it home. Home. <laughs> home. 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 To our home.